0: primary care knowledge boost assessing a child or young person with a potential eating disorder Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we are speaking to two lovely practitioners from the um, eating disorder service in, well one of the eating disorder services in Manchester um, for children and young people. I'll let them introduce themselves but um, Rachel and um, Vicky came to speak to us um, today about the assessment of children and young people who
1: present with poor mental health but with a more specific slant um, towards eating disorders. Yeah, it was fabulous to get their take on everything because they've got incredible levels of skill and knowledge and they've got a real amazing way of communicating. So really enjoyed their initial assessments and how their advice around assessing children and how to talk to them, how to talk to young people, just you know, trying to be as authentic as possible, trying to sort of approach them in certain levels, but also getting to the nitty gritty of why they're there, doing lots of risk assessments Great advice around co- sort of consulting with children separately, but also making sure that you get the family's worries. Um, before we then moved on to talking more specifically about um, assessing for disordered eating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They give us a, a really good overview
0: um, of how to do that initial consultation and particularly thinking about it from a primary care slant, um, which was really helpful. Um, and we also use a, a made up case um, to try and guide the conversation as we go, which I think was quite useful to structure our thinking about this topic.
2: Um, so we hope you find it as useful as we did. Hi, I'm Rachel Davis. I'm a senior eating disorder practitioner within the MFT, Community Eating Disorder Service, and we work with children and young people.
3: I'm Vicky McGee, I am a senior practitioner, I'm a nurse by background and I work in Manchester for the Community Disorder
1: Service with children and young people with complex needs around food. So um, I think when there was discussions around how we were going to orientate this episode a lot of it focused around consulting with children and young people, Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us a bit about how we've arrived at why we're talking about what we're talking about, What, what what is it about young people that means that we have to have a sort of conversation about how to talk to them? Well, I think primarily, I'm speaking for both of us but primarily what we know is that children are usually brought to
2: the GP by a parent or a carer. Yeah. And that's what differentiates, obviously, their presentation to adults in that there is a lot within the system that is going to get a lot of information from as opposed to the child's voice solely from themselves. So I think we just need to take into account all the collateral, all the information we can get from a mum and dad, a carer as well as schools, the feedback loop that you get from the system as opposed to the adult when they come and book their own appointment and say, I've got these worries about myself. And particularly when it pertains to eating disorders, which, as we know, within you know probably any time, any age range, it's an illness that where the, the person may feel less inclined to, to contact a service um, and may be more reluctant to seek support and help. So we think that that's probably where we need to really focus on what people around the young person can say. Um, But also, more generally speaking, children, it's such a a short time frame. Mm -hmm. So children, teenagers, short time frame, but loads happens within that time. There's a lot of development and a lot of transition. So speaking about a child, a primary school age child, it's very different to speaking to a 17 year old and how we need to approach them. So I think that's probably why we think this is important so that we know as primary care professionals any kind of any professional working with children how we might need to approach things a little bit differently
3: I think probably one of the most important things to kind of hold on to is that although they appear reluctant to want to tell you anything <laughs> whatsoever um, they are actually relieved when they're able to tell somebody yeah. so um you know it's, it's not like they come to us and they're like blah blah, blah, blah. Yeah. here's my life story yeah. please help me with this yeah. um having worked in other areas of mental health as well as eating disorders there are a lot it, it, they're very reluctant to tell you any information yeah. but I think that if you can just connect with them on any level about anything as a way in yeah. that they more often than not when they're at the other side of treatment they will say oh it was such a relief
1: to be able to, that you that I was able to tell somebody because I thought I wanted to keep it a secret but actually it was it was awful that's really good to know kind of have that insight into what they might be thinking yeah yeah yeah. great so i think we thought we'd approach the rest of the
0: episode um, using a made-up case of a young person um, coming into general practice to kind of frame the discussion. Um, so we've got 14-year-old Susie um, who's been brought in, as she said, by her mum um, to the GP practice. And mum tells us that she's been struggling to get her to the doctors, uh, but she's been worried about Susie for months. Her impression of Susie is that she seems to be low, moody, argumentative, teary and spending a lot of time alone in her room. Um, she she stops sports lessons, um, which she used to um, really enjoy and isn't spending as much time with her family. Um, she does still go out with friends, but she's not telling her mum where she's going um, and for how long she's going to be out with them. So what, what would be your approach um, straight off the bat if you've got
3: just that history from mum um, and you've got Susie there as well with you? One of the difficulties with working with children and young people is that mums are worried because you know, I'm a mum, I worry worry about everything to do with my children. Um, and sometimes you have to be able to normalise some of their behaviour. You know, they are maybe do want to go out with their friends, they don't want to tell them one where they are and that is really worrying. And so we kind of always start with thinking about, well what what's what's the normal stuff? And then maybe what's not the what's the not the so great stuff that's going on? And is that a change? The biggest thing would be, is that a change? Has, has Susie always been like this? Has she always been a young person that hasn't really wanted to tell mum and dad where she's going or been reluctant to share information with mum? Has she always been quite moody? Because normally a low mood or a, ch- a shifting mood is something's happening, isn't it? So I, I would be saying... Some of that's quite normal, but has it has it always been normal? Like, what what's different? Have you noticed any other changes with Susie that maybe um, might be going on at the same time?
2: And I think when we see parents bring the young people to the gp reluctantly or not they've spotted something that's different mm-hmm. so i think the things from this kind of case study is, is the kind of change in that she's not finding as we would say fa- she's not finding pleasure is she in the things yeah. that she used to enjoy yeah, yeah. so there's a there's an identification of a change is she just a teenager and transitioning and not wanting to do all the stuffs that perhaps she felt a bit under pressure to do in the past maybe she's prioritizing her friendships but we're not going to get to the the absolute you know nub and thrust of of everything that's going on within it within a brief consultation mm-hmm. so the way that we might work in an assessment which we might suggest that that perhaps primary care professionals also do is to spend some time all together with the young person with mum and say mum what, what are you why are we here today you know what are you what are you worried about Cause you clearly are we've got yeah. an appointment and then we talk through that and then because of because of Susie's age, it may be also useful for Susie to have a space to be able to speak on her own. With all the kind of policies that we we know we have to use young people, mm-hmm. you know, indication around transparency, around sharing information about risk. But we also know that perhaps Susie isn't able to say, "My mum's doing my head in. I want a bit of space. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I love hanging out with my mates. It makes me feel good." And you know, I'm finding out that actually we can provide some reassurance to mum from from having a bit of space alone with Susie and then come back together. And I think that's usually what we find really helpful coming back together at the end in our work in the community eating disorders we have a bit longer in our sessions and we that is a resource and a a bit of a luxury probably for primary care professionals to be able to utilize that time in that way Um, but where it comes to coming back together the reason we need to do that is obviously because if there is a risk identified we need to do a bit of preliminary safety planning and a bit of next step conversation where are we going to go from here but in terms of directly addressing Susie she's 14 she probably wants to be spoken to like she knows how she knows what she thinks she probably you know the feedback we get is at the end of working with young people usually rather than at the start is I really appreciate being spoken to like an equal and Mm -hmm. you know being listened to but it's just about making sure that that young person feels very acknowledged and you know that they what they're saying to you is heard and if that it's just needing to pass back some reassurance to mum then that will be that will be a positive for their relationship but if it is actually through the assessments who's is able to say I am feeling a bit more flat I can't be bothered I've lost a lot of motivation Mm -hmm. something has changed and perhaps looking into we always we think about a biopsychosocial kind of assessment we're thinking about particularly I think with young people the social emphasis because talking about mood when we think about things like oh how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Has anything changed? Anna, are, you, are you experiencing pleasure? In the things you, They don't really know what you're getting at when you're talking about in very kind of fact-based language, talking about um, how long have you been feeling low for? They might not even know they're low. They yeah. may just be able to identify what is going on around them. How are your friendships? Do you have any friends? You know, how's school going? How are your grades? Things that we know that they can then they can link a response to and you know you can kind of summarize what they've said and say well you know that that sounds like perhaps you're feeling a bit lonely you know repeating that back to them and then, these are all tactics i know that gps and primary care professionals will be using but it is a little bit different i think when when someone maybe hasn't developed the language to describe mood that adults may have developed yeah. having said that we do work with teenagers who are very very, very emotionally very intelligent i yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. more advanced than than us it in is. our 30s and 40s but you know that's the difference
3: and a lot, but often they they don't know they've particularly in eating disorders a lot of them have fallen into it without even realizing mm. so they what yeah. might have started as I think I want to do a bit. I want to feel better. Like in particular around COVID, we had lots of young people who said, you know, Joe Wicks is on the telly, I want to do Couch to 5K, I want to feel a bit healthier. Mm-hmm. And the, then along that journey, all of a sudden, they have fallen into the trap of an eating disorder and they don't know. Yeah. So quite often, their first point of contact with a professional, with a GP, and so if you ask them questions about the mood, they might be like, well, I'm, f- I'm five. Yeah. mood's fine i'm not eating anything but my, but my yeah. mood's fine yeah. so, so sometimes it's about being able to say you know what changes have happened and did you used to be a person that likes going out and about and doing things and often you say to them you know we use rate rating scale like how's your mood if it's like top of the world it's like a 10 if it's like terrible rubbish can't get out of bed it's a one they'll say well what what some of them will say well what's it what do you mean a mood mm-hmm. like a mood what what's that and yeah. what others will say I know what my mood is and it's low or depressed or yeah. high or yeah. yeah it's just about finding out what they're like like Rachel said like their languages is around yeah.
1: that yeah huge variation definitely mm. yeah. and then
2: you have primary school age children which we do see and who yeah. You need quite closed questions who you may be speaking you may not need to have time alone with you'll be speaking through mum but it doesn't mean that they don't need obviously any time to be addressed directly but it may just be using those closed questions we often use things that perhaps you know may not be as easily utilized in a in a gp consultation but things like sorting statements so we have lists of what we might refer to as symptoms but that we use a bit more played down jargon so it's it's kind of things like i used to enjoy doing things and now i'm not so up for it things like that and then it, it's easier to kind of just point at these statements and right. think I identify with that I identify with that without having to kind of describe yeah find the word which is tricky yeah. yeah yeah especially for younger children or children perhaps on the autism yes. spectrum uh, so it's it's yeah it's, it's thinking about what are their what are their other needs as well How's mm-hmm. what's the best way of getting them to be able to say what they need to say within the short space of time yeah. <laughs> you're able to say it you know yeah. Um, yeah
0: and can I just ask um about the coming back together Um, at the end um, with say mum and Susie how do you normally go about um, approaching that if there's any resistance or how do you kind of describe that to Susie so that she might want to come back together with mum?
2: Yeah so I think that's a really good point we need to start off the conversation at the very beginning with with a kind of bit of an agenda in that sense so full transparency this is what we'd like to talk about today mum can you share your concerns with us if those concerns are kind of the ones that we're we're hearing here there's been a mood shift for susie is that normalized within hormonal changes and teenage life or is that a bit more is that more pronounced and do we need to to think about whether this young person has low mood and, and and is perhaps going to deteriorate further We take a bit of time with Susie, but before we do that, we say we would like to be coming back to the end. Obviously, I really encourage you to be able to speak as openly as you feel able to today. We will need to share with your mum when we come back together anything that maybe a risk to yourself or to anyone else but beyond that the conversation can remain with us mm-hmm. um and we'll give some advice to your mum at the end if that's okay just so that they know what what the the product of the conversation is going to be mm-hmm. um and so that you know that they don't feel that you're kind of betraying their trust at the okay, end when exactly. you go back to mum and say yeah. this is what she said yeah. um so that's what that's what we do as i say we have a bit longer but these are the kinds of things that we find quite helpful
3: yeah. and sometimes they it's helpful if you say to them do you want to feed this back to mom or do you want me to do it for you yeah. like how, how would you like me to say it so you've told me i don't know such and such it's a little bit risky we're going to, you know we're going to need to share this with your mom what, what's going to be the best way for us to do that should we use your words or should we use mine and they normally just say oh you just say it <laughs> i don't want to say it <laughs>
1: that's a nice shared thing that yeah. you have to share this risk but like how would you like
2: to share it that's mm-hmm. good yeah and then we you know we can say other young people who've said these things to us have found yeah. it easier to say yeah that's a good way you know that you so to kind of normalize that a little bit further other young people we've seen have said that they'd prefer it if we said um you know uh, we use things like even that uh, this is perhaps getting a bit too far into it but if there's a, just a code word that the young person can express mm-hmm. to say this this one word connotes all these meanings. It means that I'm low. I probably need a bit of supervision. I probably need to be kept safe because I'm feeling like I don't want to be mm-hmm. here anymore. But one code word or one emoji can do wonders. Wow. So it's kind of you know knowing that we don't have to extrapolate all the information within mm. one appointment. These are the kinds of things we can feedback at the end. You know, how have you found it? How it's obviously hard to speak about these things. How have you found a way of talking to your mum about it? Is there a way that we can reassure your mum so that she can look after you when you're feeling lower? Obviously in this case we're seeing that Susie's going out and some of this is parenting as well and it's hard when these ch- changes happen in our young people's lives and they it's fantastic they want to go out with their friends they want to develop a life of independence and it's very normal mm-hmm. but there are obviously boundaries within that and you, we need to you know text message need to be made and you know location needs to be known and yeah. thing, things that the that parents these the kind of the terms of you having that independence which you want you to have but that is parenting as well so it's kind of f- fielding out
1: what's your job i yes, suppose exactly. within yeah. it yeah. and trying
3: yeah. to take it all on yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it's kind
1: of how to sort through the tumultuous amount exactly. of risks that could yeah. be posed really in fact that does bring me perfectly onto my next question because there is there's so much Um, to cover within the first consultation often and like you're saying it's really good to sort of just drill down to the worries really because I think that's probably going to orientate you so perfectly Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes you're taking on uh, tangents around what are they doing when they're going out potentially around uh, sexual health or safeguarding Mm -hmm. Um, so just thinking about with Susie we kind of know that we're going down the route of eating disorders but the initial bit when, when we're just hearing initial concerns how do you go about sifting risk? What I would say is that usually this is obviously we're we're speaking very anecdotally here but we we
2: could talk about eating disorders all day long this is kind of the thing that we, we work with all day every day and I think parents and carers they have a sense that something isn't right that's why they're bringing their young person to the GP and that's really important with With certain um, eating disorders, particularly ones like anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, there is a a degree of shame around them. There is also a necessity within the illness to keep it secret, to Mm -hmm. keep it being able to be maintained. We can't share it. Mm -hmm. So young people may be saying to their parents or their carers, I'm not hungry, my tummy hurts, I'm full, I already ate. So there is no what we would describe eating disorder cognitions being shared with mum or dad or, or parent or carer, but there's certainly a change and that may also be apparent in weight loss, maybe not through being weighed on the scale, but apparent weight loss through clothing changes. You may be noticing differences in their behaviours, We may be noticing a bit of distress around eating. So these are things, we call them behaviours, you're just noticing change in your kid and you're concerned about, you don't know what's behind it. Sometimes, I'm sure that you both will have seen this in practice, you know, parents will come in and they'll say, I'm concerned, they're losing weight is there a physical health problem underlying but they do seem flat could it be that their appetite is reduced and they don't know what's what of it and i think this is where we'd really like to emphasize there are important questions that can be asked around the motivation around weight loss you know why why are you not eating you know what is it is it do you feel scared when you eat does are you fearing a consequence when you eat what are you what are your worries around it you may not get to that in the consultation and i think what we would really really emphasise within this is that we as an eating Disorder Service for, for Children and Young People we have access and waiting time standards which indicate that we, we have to see young people where their where um, criteria is met for the referral within four weeks if we see it as a routine referral or seven days if it's an urgent referral.
3: For any, any of the like when we screen our referrals we've been looking for like any red flags of so any vomiting, any fainting, any pain, any blackouts, any low blood pressure, any weight loss. Yeah. any like hair falling out hair growing on other parts of the body so sometimes young people like we said before they haven't got the language or they, they might they might not know, Yeah. they might just yeah. say um, particularly if they've got a diagnosis of autism and they might have just stopped eating, they don't know why they've stopped eating mm-hmm. so we kind of have to go a, a different way but we can do that bit, we just need to know red flags, so physical health red flags and are they vomiting, how much are they so even if you just said to them, sounds like eating is really really tricky for you at the moment, what are you managing? To eat, so what? And then mom can tell you the rest of the information about what such and such used to eat, but what are they eating now? So did they used to eat breakfast? Teenagers, I mean, their eating's not great, is it? But we did. We just want to know what the physical health stats are, what's changed and what's mum really, really worried about. So mum will say, if mum says, or she, she goes out with her friends and doesn't come on at tea time and then she, normal, the other teenagers without an eating disorder might go out with their mates all night and then come in and eat a pizza and three bags of crisps. Yeah. But if, if they're coming in and not, not doing that and they used to do that, then that, that would be what we, what we want to yeah. know. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Because they might just say, oh, I, I don't know. They might be, a, but subconsciously avoiding coming home and they don't know that they're doing that do they and then we kind of have to unfortunately which is not always entirely helpful give them the language around eating disorders to help Mm. them to understand what's going on Mm. to help them to get better but Mm. then that comes with its own
1: difficulties Mm. (laughs) Does that make sense? It does. That's. It's really, really interesting. Everything you're saying about how your phrasing questions is so useful. I'm just kind of scribbling down <laughs> to, because it is. It's just getting the right words and saying it in the right way that's so helpful. Because yeah, you don't want you try trying not to judge or trying not to sound like you're coming at it from this. Other but also, thing. I think that there is. And um, I remember when I first started working in eating disorders,
3: like I was thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know how to speak because it's like a different way of talking in yeah. eating disorders that. Like if somebody was suffering with low mood or um acute anxiety and then they got better you'd be like you look great you look so well you're That's doing it. so bad yeah say that to someone with an eating disorder and sometimes that can take on a different meaning and they think oh, yes. oh no what do so we've come across this but definitely. what yeah, yeah it's really yeah. tricky but what our young people do say is that what rachel was saying before is that they really value as long as you're straightforward with them mm-hmm. like teenagers or young people they know don't they <laughs> if you're, yeah, you if you're saying something um, and they think you don't listen to you don't think that you don't mean it so if you say to them i like, know this is a bit awkward isn't it you don't you don't want to talk about food i need to ask you about food that's my job so i need to know what's going on mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about it and we'll see whether maybe maybe someone could help you to, to come out of how you're feeling at the moment because it doesn't look like it's doing you any favors because mm-hmm. so you don't feel great it, it feels yeah. it feels hot it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. so sometimes although they're really reluctant when they come in they don't want to tell you any information
1: they're really relieved when they leave even though they're not always able to tell you yeah um, so we thought we'd go skip back to Susie. Um, we've got a little bit more from mum and from her about what her worries are. And we found out a bit more about her background in terms of from an eating disorder, size of things. So though she's not going to sports things, she's actually exercising quite a lot. She's she's started exercising on her own six times a week and she's skipping family meals. Um, we find out that she's quite keen to continue to lose weight, that she's not happy at the weight that she is and that she has been losing weights and it has been intentional we've not put her on the scales at this stage and actually that can be quite a difficult part of the cons- obviously mm-hmm. can be a really difficult part of the consultation about when and how to do that um she has had a recorded body mass index of eight, um, 19 um reasonably recently but she's probably less today so where would we go from here what do you think how would you approach it from here so I think from my eyes, this is an
2: appropriate referral to us, to our service. And I think that with Susie, what she's disclosed is, and what mum's disclosed is, initially is, I'm concerned about her mood. That's that's where her concern has been. We've done some more exploration. and Actually, what we've found is underlying this is what we see is real, real withdrawal from family meals from family life mm-hmm. and that's and that is really really common within within eating sorts particularly ones such as anorexia nervosa and um, trying to withdraw and and kind of go under the radar and this is very exposing this appointment it's the first exposing mm-hmm. appointment um and i think so i can understand why um primary care professionals would prefer to um perhaps well may think should i weigh this young person or not what we would say is we we do find um, having um, kind of an index of of weights, including historic weights, um, they are helpful for us. It's to ascertain the secondary physical health Difficulties and what the risk around that regard—it's mm-hmm. not to kind of screen for our service. We're not a weight-based service, and as we know, someone can be in the a normal or healthy weight range, if they've had rapid weight loss and um, through a for through a, you know a short period of time, they can have the same um, physical health complications as someone who's who's underweight. And that's, so that's something that we we aren't emphasising in our referrals. It is mm-hmm. just helpful for us to know: if, do we need to see this young per- When do we need to see this young person? That's why it's also helpful to know what their intake is. So to emphasis right mum dad um who is seeing this young person eat and what are they managing to take in a day and that includes fluids as well mm-hmm. um so i would ask those questions that's what i want to know because of the weight loss that has been indicated i'd be asking could do you have any idea mum dad or susie how much weight you've lost and over what time frame so a chronology would be really helpful mm-hmm. do you remember when this started time frames would be really helpful mm-hmm and then there are obviously physical health uh, kind of interventions that would be helpful at that point so a range of bloods possibly an ecg doing some blood pressure and pulse those are really helpful for us as well and um, we don't have a referral form i know that a lot of community eating disorder services do and on those things you'll find those kind of parameters mm-hmm. are being asked for and that's why they, they are really useful to have but for us it's the behaviors that are really really useful so we you know behaviors isn't a nice word but it's, it's essentially what we're seeing that's changed is, is the young person appearing to be distressed when they're eating? Do they seem tearful or anxious when they're f- faced with food? When you're encouraging them to eat, how are they responding to you? Um, what are their choices around food when they do eat? Is there something that they feel more safe or more comfortable with eating? And does that happen to be a lower nutrition option? It's, so it's, it's things around that that maybe they're not going to be able to say, I'm intentionally losing weight to influence my shape and weight today <laughs> It'd be really um, helpful
3: yeah we it did, would be great
2: if they could yeah. but that, that's not the that's nature not of this illness works. yeah and yeah. yeah. um, but so, but there are behaviours that indicate there's, a, you know, there is motivation and intention behind this, and it's probably an anxiety-based illness like an eating disorder. But that bit is all for us. So, just as much information as you can get at this stage. To us, it seems very clear that perhaps we've got this relatively early on, which for our team is fantastic. Early intervention is obviously is obviously really important. Get it over to to your local community um, eating disorder service and make the information known, and they will obviously within their access and waiting time standards make the make their assessment um, scheduled. And like I say, we would often contact parents too but if you're really concerned so as we say we see urgent um assessments within seven days of the referral it is sometimes the case as I, you know i'm sure that every gp every kind of primary care professionals nightmare of seeing someone actually they're too poorly to wait seven days do they need mm-hmm. to go to a and e that day yes. um and that may be the case but we would then pick them up we'd call it an emergency referral we'd pick them up within the next working day right. so you know and the obviously the care team in the hospital would look after them until that point and we
3: often get called to him. Um, professionals will say, I've got this young person in clinic, they fainted while they've been here they said they've said they not had any fluids for, I don't know, uh, well over 12 hours mum can't tell us when she last ate um, and we would all just say, chuck us their number over for, for the family and just send them to A&E, get, let's get them physically checked out and then mm. w- we work really closely with the paediatric boards anyway, so we would just go over or arrange an appointment for like, the next day or the day after, but when thinking about um, physical health ops whilst they're in an appointment, it is really tricky Mm -hmm. Um, especially some of them will have been monitoring their weight like two to three times a day but Mm -hmm. some of them might not have a clue what uh, we often say is Oh, your mum seems like really worried about you. Yeah, should we just get your weight done, and then we could just check mm-hmm. check out what's going on? I wonder if you have. Do you think you've lost any weight Have you lost? Any, do you think? Do you feel dizzy? Should we do? Should we do your blood pressure first, or should we just get your weight out of the way, and then it's just done? But we're not a weight-based service. It does, and it is. Yeah. It's an o- ongoing discussions in our mm-hmm. team about how helpful it is to continuously weigh young people, and yeah. um, said yeah. the, the way up is the way up is between um, the physical health and you know the psychological impact of them. Mm-hmm constantly seeing they do become really fixated on numbers yeah. whether that's blood pressure numbers or heart rate numbers or low heart rate or Guys. calories or yeah. weights or you know protein amounts or fat amount or whatever it is yeah. the numbers yeah. is a big fixation so sometimes it seems really unhelpful to then concentrate so much on somebody's weight but also it's a huge indicator of how unwell somebody is and also it's not necessarily the loss it's the rate of loss that we look at so we we do get lots of young people who have just been healthy eating for a really long time and have lost weight and they wanted to lose weight and that that's fine it's not affecting their functioning but then when it's when it tips and then the weight drop drops off and then they can't see it so sometimes seeing it they're like i didn't even realize that this had
1: happened yeah
3: So sometimes you have to gauge it with a young person, don't you?
1: Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Yeah, it's good to go through the red flags as well um because... the one thing this year i discovered was the mead criteria yeah, yeah. Yeah. is yeah. that something that you'd recommend to try and assess oh, absolutely certainly. absolutely yes.
3: yeah
2: and so that's obviously it's what you know our paediatric hospitals are using when we're e A&E, A&E doctors and we've kind of um, tried to develop some local inpatient guidelines for our our locality so obviously as i say we're working across central manchester north manchester salford and trafford um and it's obviously every, this is a national um national policy so that has been that is really helpful and it's kind of a real back to basics what do we need to do and hopefully clear enough for someone who hasn't got a background in eating disorders to just use okay this is quite black and white do you meet these meet these measures where do we need to where are you are you amber are you red and then we know how to to do it but obviously as i say and i really want to emphasize this we also as a service will help to to kind of rag rate or rate where how quickly this young person
1: needs to be seen um, so with Susie, say like she's at a scenario where she's not quite understanding and in that consultation or maybe the second time we're seeing her, we've got a bit of time. What's your general way that you approach explaining what an eating disorder is and that they have one? That's a really good question. And I think that
2: obviously we're talking about eating disorders quite broadly here. Um, I'm thinking more about the ones that you that may be presenting more with parents support, bringing them in, things like anorexia, nervosa, restrictive intake. Um bulimia, and so things where the the real the risk pertaining to those to those and with and parents may be starting to see them um if a child or young person doesn't have either language to kind of identify and express their emotions and their thoughts that they're having um or perhaps doesn't want to because that is absolutely goes hand in hand with some of these these illnesses what we tend to say is we we describe what's going on we also do a, a kind of range of physical health um, investigations too in our service where we think they're indicated mm-hmm. we'll describe what's going on we might use quite black and white Numbers and facts, so we can say, okay, you, we can see that your your bloods are deranged in these areas. That indicates to us that, that you're that you're undernourished at the moment. Um, we can see that your are you know your blood pressure, heart rate's low, and that we can we can see that your your periods have stopped. And these are signs to us that your body's not functioning as it as it should be, and that's due to undernutrition. Um, and so we could we use that as kind of the 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 basis for what we then when then need to say mm. we don't feel at the moment you're you're able to make decisions around your eating and we know that you were at one point and we know that you will be again this is a short term this is a short term thing that we need to be concentrating on where we need to be building your your nutrition so that your body is able to function in the early stages of acute illness we do very much concentrate on physical health because we know that thoughts and feelings will not improve if someone is undernourished and that is therapeutic in and of itself and obviously we do hopefully undertake this in a therapeutic way Um, but food is 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 the step to kind of someone's thinking become they can lose abstract thinking they can become very black and white in their thinking when they're undernourished we need to be able to improve their nutrition to be able to help their emotional well-being and their emotional their mental health and often when we do present that initial stage to them they become more distressed because it's the thing that they're clinging onto to feel safe and stable. And we say, okay, we need to pull that away from you temporarily. We're going to be here the whole way. So what I'm trying to do, I know we're getting to the point of how we kind of bring up a a diagnosis like anorexia nervosa. And what we try to do is we would first action stations, what are we going to do to meet the energy loss, the kind of expenditure of energy and making sure that we meet your nutritional requirements in the short term? What's the action plan going to be around your physical health? then we'd say we want to do an assessment of who, who are you? Like, what's your life like? What do you get up to in your own time? How are you feeling? How are you feeling before this started? We may not say it at the first appointment. Mm-hmm. We may say it within the first few. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But what we say is we, we talk about things like neurobiology, genetic loading, temperament. We talk about environmental factors. We talk with the family. It's really important to have everyone be able to say what they're seeing. And we say, you know, this is what we would often see in an illness such as anorexia nervosa. Some children want us to speak about it like that. Some people want us to call it their thoughts then that's fine or some people like it to be completely externalized you know there's you know what are they saying to you what are these thoughts saying to you almost like a voice that yes. can be heard externally and yeah, yeah. um, or internally and i think that some people within our service would say it sooner than other people
3: well, i suppose it's about how helpful it feels for the yeah. family mm. so some some families are um very straightforward. They work. That's how they work. As a family, they're quite methodical. They want yeah. to know what's happening, and this is going to be the action plan for them. It might be helpful to name it. Um, sometimes we get other young people who, you know, they may have been seen by core cams before us. They may already have a diagnosis of I don't know ADHD. Mm-hmm. They may have. Um, past difficulties with anxiety there may have been lots of labels that have given to this child mm-hmm. before they come to us and sometimes it's not always helpful to give them another one right. just to add on and mm-hmm. um, and it would be very it's pretty individual isn't it the family and the young person that we're working with mm-hmm. some young people are like what is this i want to know so that i know then this, the treatment plan mm-hmm. and other young people especially if they're younger we might just say oh, it's really tricky eating or it might be that you've got some eating difficulties at the moment because. And sometimes we're not sure because early on they could you children and young people stop eating for all kinds of different reasons. We don't always know that this is like anorexia and or yeah. bulimia, or you know sometimes it's trauma, sometimes it's they're going through a difficult path, sometimes it's that they um, might have an autistic brain and they do, they're not eating, and we d- we need to think about textures and food and types and dislikes, and you know there's lots and lots that go into it, and we discuss so we discuss everything as a team everything. We're forever discussing and being thoughtful and curious about what's going on and and that would be is it helpful for this family to know that we think this is anorexia yes right okay let's tell the young person what it is and why we think it matches Mm -hmm. what's going on for them and if it's not helpful let's just call it eating difficulties and Mm -hmm. think about how we can get back on track
2: yeah, I think actually we as a service perhaps we do name the illness more often than not but I think what's interesting is often we'll see we'll see referrals through uh, through GPs or primary care professionals and they have the diagnosis written on them. This young person has anorexia nervosa yeah. and we're like, "Oh."
3: And then And then they arrive. Yeah. I've got anorexia. We're like, "Okay." <laughs>
2: and so it's it's about it's about the assessment, extending the assessment to find out what's going on. And as Vicky says, talking as an MDT speaking with our with our care teams and thinking we've got loads of professional brains involved we've got the families involved we've got the young person involved that's here whatever, and then we get to it and i think usually within the first few sessions you get a feel for what's going on then you can start to describe and talk about and label if you need to
3: and we probably i don't know whether we've mentioned or not that we're in our team obviously there's practitioners like rachel and i but we've got dietitians and ot's and doctors yeah. psychiatrists family therapists mm-hmm. Clinical support workers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we we He's are yeah, yeah we yeah. are really well resourced. So so we can also think about what else does this family need in place in order to for their treatment. Hugely holistic, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: I know where I work there's a bigger delay I think so um, any advice that you have for GPs even wrapping up with Susie in that appointment and, and you know when we've got the mum and Susie back together and saying okay well we've had this discussion um, where do you think we should go with Susie as as the GP any advice about how we manage her whilst we're waiting? So when we work with young people we obviously they are normally too unwell to make any kinds of those
3: decisions or choices themselves so well, I would be saying something to mum like and with Susie present, but directing it at mum or Dad or whoever's with her. That we need food to survive. Like, nobody lives on this earth without eating. You know, we need food to survive. And that your mood will improve if you eat. And I wonder if you could try... What could you try? What could you try and add in? So it sounds like you're not managing breakfast, and it sounds like lunch is really tricky, but I wonder if you could... What could you have? Will you have, like, a breakfast bar, a banana on your way out the door? Could could Mum try and help you to, to do that in the morning? And just because for the first couple of appointments, unless they were acutely unwell and we were thinking they need refeeding or we need to think about paediatric admission or we might see them a bit more intensively. But if you were managing it in a primary care setting, mm-hmm. you, can, you can only give advice and hope that mum is able to take that on board mm-hmm. um, and then just say this is what we'd like you to do and we'd like you to come back and see us. But in the interim, if there's any difficulties, we need to go to A&E.
2: I think that's it I think it's the being very aware of the the parameters for for health and I know that's that's the risk isn't it that's the whole that's the whole the whole point so I suppose if um the young person is particularly physically compromised because of the restriction I hope that the there is some I know what you're saying about certain localities perhaps not being able to um to kind of implement their the the waiting standards as as they as they could or would want to be um so there, there is that, but what I would say is that they should be still advising the GPs and the, the primary care professionals of, of what care they need to be undertaking in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I say, the, the typical kind of physical health investigations that we would ask GPs to do are the, a set of blood tests, which we would advise the GP of if they haven't done them already, which often you guys have already done, the ECG and the blood pressure. And so from, from the referral on, we should then be deciding, is this person okay to wait one week or do we need to see them in three days? Or are they actually fairly routine? And can we have a phone call with the parent, give some advice and see them in three weeks? That weight of responsibility should be with us once the referral's been made. But it's just, I know when the, when you're kind of, in a, in a locality that perhaps doesn't have the resource at the time, that that risk is more lending with you. And we yeah. do have GPs who perhaps haven't known about our service, who have seen young people while they've been really lo- scrambling around, trying to find the right place to send this young person, referring to cams, perhaps cams referring back and saying, "Nope, that's not us. Fortunately, we have really good relationships with our local cam services and they, they know about us and they can pass things on. But, you know, things being slowed down and they will see people and perhaps take um, blood pressure, Every two weeks, every three weeks, things like that. But a lot of um, the emphasis, and this includes when we work with the children and young people too, is on the family support and saying to mum and dad and carers, okay this is this this is what young person's managing you need to keep a keep a note keep a record of what they're they're managing every day and you need to be seeing them when they eat and that can be very difficult for working parents but we need to have some supervision some eyes on the young person it may be that school needs to be contacted you need to let them know that they can't be doing GP uh, sorry they can't be doing PE (laughs) another acronym for now they can't um they need to be resting a bit more. They need to be not expending as much energy, if that makes sense. Um, And we need to be, you know, sitting tight and waiting for for it to be seen. And then I suppose when I was referring to the physical parameters, if they are acutely unwell, then you need to be saying if they're getting chest pain, if they're fainting, you need to be taking them to Mm A&E um and and for a, for a, you know their medical review there it's really tricky isn't it it's is
3: really difficult because obviously the parents that the families that come to us are normally normally it's the teenagers are at an age when they are just increasing their independence and then all of a sudden we're saying the emphasis is now on you you need to be watching them eat you need to be yes. supporting them to eat you know lots of young people will say well i don't need to eat because i'm eating at mary's or i'm i'm eating at blah blah blah, blah. and we just say like but just pretend that they are a much younger child, and remember how you used to, you've used you been feeding them your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know how to do it. Because often they feel like they just have got no control. That mums and dads, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feed my child. Well, you do know how to feed your child. It's about empowering them. Mm-hmm. But also recognising that it's really, really difficult to get 14 mm-hmm. or 15-year-olds to do something that they absolutely don't want yes. to do. Yes. But saying, it sounds like you were really like going out with your friends. So I wonder if before you go out with your friends, you need to make sure you've had your tea. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were really like exercising. I really like exercising I wonder if we need to make sure that you're having your lunch before you do any exercise and trying to take into account that you're really worried about the physical health and thinking what can I do to try and minimize that risk that's going on at home yeah. so you don't want them to become more unwell the expectation is is on us is on our teams to manage that that actually what you need to do is just hold them you know, don't lose any more weight, can, you, can we stay like this for a little bit and how, how can we keep you at this, this level Stable. so that your risk doesn't increase because yeah. 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 that, that is what it's about, we're just trying to manage their risk until they're ready to make some changes but the the advice is tricky because there's loads of, it's in reams out there isn't it like oh the Eva must be stuff," and lots of parents who've written books about their children that have been through eating disorders and how horrific it is and how i suppose the most important thing to stress to families is it takes ages for these young people to get better it's not going to happen right. overnight yeah. sometimes our like, young people are at minimum what like a year with us before they're able to some some uh, quicker obviously because everybody's different but that it takes time and that we need to try and minimize your risk these are the things that you like doing and this is what you need to do in order to do this and then keep coming here for your ops until the team whichever locality you live in can take that on board for you mm-hmm. and help you to get better
2: and i think this is, goes back to the kind of the conversation about taking weight again mm-hmm. and i think <laughs> i know that we're, we're always talking about it we are weight. aren't we we're talking about <laughs> it all the time and then we say why are we so so fixated on it and i think it's because for mums and dads for gps for for us as professionals in service it's a black and white measure just like it is for the child and young person mm-hmm. of where they are so we completely would understand as a as a as a primary care professional why you feel the need to take away and to to update a referral and say actually i've seen them two weeks later and now they've lost a fervor x amount mm. and so you know we are not saying don't don't to do, don't do that we take weights in routinely in our clinics actually it's just a big conversation i suppose that we're having at the moment around how how helpful it is and how uh,
3: but that it's okay to say to them yeah. i do need to take your weight i wonder if it'd be helpful yeah. if you looked or if you didn't like yeah, you, can, okay, you can turn around if okay. you want to, but you know it's you don't have to look. I can look. I can put his paper yeah. over it. Yeah. We, you know it doesn't have, have to, to respond no, to it. as We well, we, so we don't have to, cause they away. know they yeah, know if yeah, you yeah. if you give any kind of response, yeah. they're thinking
1: I I know. I know where that's yeah. which way that's gone. So you're just kind of keeping. If you do weigh them, you're kind of keeping. Unless there's kind of emergency mm-hmm. scenarios, we're just kind of keeping quiet. Essentially, we're not celebrating or commiserating.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, and just try and. I know this sounds ridiculous. This, but try and like minimize it as much as yes. possible. Like, yeah. you know, that we need to do this. Yeah. Let's just put your shoes off and just jump on the scale. Why don't you turn around and I'll just, I'll take it down. And then we've just got a record of where you're at. But it is, it's got, it's got pluses
2: and Mm balances hasn't it yeah it does and you know that's one of the positives of a young person knowing their weight is that it's normalized and we're not Mm. saying yeah you shouldn't be looking at it because it's scary it's terrifying but i'm just saying within your services when you're you're getting you're in the ringer and you've got the young person in front of you and you're trying to support them to just get through the front door door of the appropriate service you know you have to do what you have to do to make things feel comfortable and and to uh, to keep the engagement with the child and young person or the the family to to kind of undertake those observations Mm -hmm. so yeah we know it's really tricky uh,
0: yeah so just kind of coming towards the the end of the episode now and um, we thought we'd ask if you um, had any good resources
2: for either um, clinicians in primary care or patients um, that you could point us towards so as you kind of noted earlier the mead guidelines as an emergency kind of textbook the kind of bible around around when to when you need to act um, and that's obviously for for all professionals it, particularly, I suppose, within a and environment, within the ward space, within, you know, where we see young people who are in acute risk. Um, in terms of our um, resources that are available for families and young people, we our team's model is that we use the Maudsley model, which is, so we use a, a treatment um, for, called uh, Family Treatment for Anorexia. Mm-hmm. Um, there are resources, as, as mm-hmm. Vicky was saying, that, that are written by parents, who have lived experience of their child or young person having come through an eating disorder and uh, recovered, and um, even Musbee's one of those parents who who's, um, has a has a range of resources on their website and on YouTube that you can access f- for free. And in various other languages, there are some kind of fact sheets available as well. The BEAT charity yes. has resources available on there, and they also have helplines and um, other information available too. Mm. FEAST is another one. Um, so these are kind of initial, initial stops I would also say, and I, sw- I suppose, again, I'm speaking for our service mm-hmm. um, in particular, but we would also say to GPs and primary care professionals, you can give them our number too. So we take self-referrals. We take referrals from parents. We take referrals from schools. We take referrals from social workers. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's involved with a child or young person who's concerned around eating, their eating, they can get in touch with us directly. Mm-hmm. So you can pass on our telephone number saying to them, you know, they will be in touch with you. If they feel that this is an appropriate referral, they'll be in touch with you. Otherwise, I'll, as a GP or a primary care professional, you'll be hearing back to say why why it might not meet the criteria or what more information might be needed. And then this is their telephone number. If you've got any really, if you've got any worries, or if you need any advice in the meantime, we have um, a professional who's on triage every day in our service who can who can hopefully, if they can't take a conversation live, they can call them back. Yeah, thank you. We'll link to them all in the episode description
0: and uh so yeah just at the end point of the episode then we always ask all of our guests what um your top learning points would be that you want listeners to take away from today if they can only remember a couple of things from the chat what do you want those to be
2: uh, for me i guess it's what we've we've almost just ended on don't let anything be a barrier to getting in touch with us apart from obviously your own time i know that it's precious it's really important for us to have as much information as we possibly can providing reassurance around parents that there are services that will are available to treat these kinds of difficulties because we know the impact it primarily it's a massive impact on family life Mm -hmm. on you know the emotional welfare of all the family members there it's really distressing to have a child or young person who is themselves in acute distress at all meal times in the family and so that's we just want to kind of acknowledge that, um, if we can do that within the first contact, which is obviously what you guys provide as GPs and primary care professionals being able to to acknowledge that the impact that it's having and, and give some reassurance that the whole family will be getting some support through this because we are a family we use a family based model.
3: I suppose mine would just be that, you know, we're not the expectation isn't that primary care professionals are not the experts in eating disorders. We're not expecting like war and peace and in your referrals, um just to Gain as much, gather as much information as you possibly can, so that we can get them the support that they need. Um, and third, to remember that you can't do anything wrong by asking a young person. I think that lots of professionals, and certainly before I worked in mental health, I was the same. Thinking, oh, I don't want to say anything that's going to upset them or make them feel worse, or I'm going to cause this eating disorder to spiral out of control. There's nothing that you can say as long as you're straightforward and honest and transparent. You can ask what whatever you need to ask, mm-hmm. and if they don't want to answer, they'll just tell you
1: true sure. well, that's amazing advice thank you so much yeah. both of you Thank, you. thank you. Uh, so Lisa it's just us two um it's been we've had an afternoon of running around so um a bit of time to kind of think about what's what's settling with us what are your learning points um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was just
0: so fab to get their their take on this whole thing. They are obviously are very knowledgeable in this area, and they had lots of tips about um, how to communicate with children and young people that I think would translate outside of um eating disorders would translate outside of mental health even um to any kind of consultation i thought it was quite an interesting phrase i think they use that they'll often the children and young people will often be quite reluctant um to come in but relieved um and so i've written down the little phrase reluctant but relieved um Mm. so i think that's quite useful to remember because often you can be faced with the um, the teenager who's not wanting to speak not giving you any responses feels like quite yeah. a challenging consultation but if you frame it like that actually they're probably just got their guard up they're they're stressed out they're in a new situation they don't really want to give up this information but you know if you can be that advocate for them if you can be that kind of straight talking honest person um, that just tells it like it is and they can build that trust with you then um, you might be able to get some useful information and then they might leave feeling a bit more relieved so yeah that's kind of my take
1: yeah absolutely I think that was that authenticity and that feeling of someone being sort of forced to come to a consultation can often be a, a very off-putting thing and to try and tread a line between wanting to feel like you're helping them and trying to get on the right side of them and build rapport and a relationship and trust yet at the same same time recognizing that there's so many risk factors and there's a lot that we need to scream for and there's a lot of extremely probing personal questions it's just um yeah. it's fabulous to kind of have have the loads of turns of phrases that they use throughout the whole consultation and clear comfort with a lot of the terminology and wording around around consulting around eating and how to ask questions and how to how to assess doing a bit more of those physical things and so sort of assessing physical parameters without without making big deals of it but you know and also then how do you then react to that and I found all of their insight into it incredibly useful and understanding that history of the presenting complaint with these types of things. So probing down, so how much, when assessing for other things yeah yeah exactly when you're just speaking out words they reminded me of them,
0: of them talking quite a bit about how um the the child or the young person might not have the um the language to be able to yeah. um put into words what they're feeling which yeah i thought was quite striking um and ways to get around that and and other ways to describe things like um like mood like eating um things like those phrases that, talk, that they talked about that the young person could point to rather than having to actually vocalise it. Oh, the sorting statements. Yeah. Those were quite useful tips as well. Which I, I thought was quite good. And also the um the 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 fact that how they structure their consultation um, so that they kind of say up front mm. that we do want to get back with the parent or carer setting the agenda out so that it's not a surprise and the statements that they used around uh, kind of do you want me to explain to to them do you want to explain to them some other um, young people have found that this is a good way to say it like I just thought all of their tips about the consultation were really helpful
1: yeah definitely
0: (laughs) um so yeah if you want to get um, in touch with us in any way you can do so in all the usual ways um, and we'll put the links all in the episode description and um, again we say thank you to everybody who's gotten in touch already left us a review liked subscribed um, it's just really lovely to hear from you all and um, it's nice um, that you're still enjoying the AMP podcast um, and please do get in touch if you have any ideas or any thoughts about how we can make it better for you till next time on primary care knowledge
2: boost
1: This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership.
0: Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare
1: professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in 2023 guidelines can vary by location as well as over time so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewees opinion and interpretation
0: of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.